0: This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, March 25th, 2018.
1: Savior on a mission. Hail to the King. You are crowned in majesty. Hail to the King.
0: Hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah. Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. We are celebrating something called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, where we say hail to the king. Hosanna. That's what we say today. Hosanna. That is a term of adoration and praise and joy. Hosanna. It means save us, God. Save us. Say it with me. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hail to the King. My name is Carrie Jones.
0: I'm Alan Jones.
1: And we are honored to be here with you today. We want to give a special thank you to Stephanie Griffin who shared the message last week. Um, yeah, let's uh, thank God for her. Yeah, we were visiting uh, our daughter and son-in-law in law and to uh, two of our granddaughters in Texas, and it's great to be with them, but it is really great to be home with you. And um, we're two sinners. We've been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this day. It's a day that is different than any other Sunday where we are on a journey From shouts of Hosanna, hail to the king, to the cross. Settle us in, help us connect with you, God, in a way that helps us along the journey to realize who you are and whose we are. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody agreed and said,
0: Amen. Amen. Palm Sunday, Hosanna. The, the Palm Sunday story is found in each of the four Gospels, those books of the Bible that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> Here's Mark's version of that story. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he, Jesus, sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and Immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and they found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you what are you doing, untying the colt? And they, they told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Say the rest with me. Hosanna in the highest!
1: So this portion of scripture is called the triumphal entry. Triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so it seems. People are going crazy. They're waving their palm branches. They're spreading their cloaks on the ground. Hail to the king. And so they're going out of their way to welcome Jesus, giving him a hero's welcome something similar to a rock star or this athlete that is like oh my gosh think about the parade we just had in philadelphia oh yeah oh yeah jesus had this high level of popularity and the crowds were just going nuts treating him like a king like a victorious king returning home to his people
0: a victorious king why is he riding a donkey if he's coming in like a victorious king? Why not a horse? Why not a, why not a stallion, you know? Well, first of all, riding a donkey fulfills a 600-year-old prophecy found in the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious as he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the the foal of a donkey.
1: So riding on a donkey not only fulfills this 600-year-old prophecy, but it is really symbolic. On one hand, a donkey is symbolic of Christ's nature, humility, humility. And then next, at that time and place in in that culture, a leader rode a horse, and that um, symbolized war, but a donkey symbolized peace. Do you see that juxtaposition? And then, finally, we believe that riding on a donkey connected Jesus with the everyday person, the ordinary person, for they had donkeys. They were the workforce, as opposed to stallions or horses. And so this riding on a donkey is really significant and symbolic on a number of levels.
0: And so it's known as the triumphal entry, and, and they're treating Jesus as a, as a king, as a returning victorious king. And But that will be short-lived, and Jesus knows it. In the previous chapter of the same book of Mark, chapter 10, as they were on the road, Jesus and the disciples, as they were heading toward Jerusalem in this triumphal entry, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside and told them that what would be coming next.
1: We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise.
0: Hmm. Jesus knew this uh, celebration was temporary he knew that this parade was going to be brief. He, he knew the shouts of Hosanna would turn to cries of crucify before the week was out. And he had told the disciples as well, but they were having a little trouble understanding what was coming, especially in the book of Mark. The, the disciples are a little slow on the take uptake on what's going on, and they didn't understand quite how short-lived this parade was going to be.
1: The next day they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold sacrificial doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was what? Spellbound by his teaching.
0: Hmm. Didn't take long for that parade, then, did it? Next day, Jesus entered the temple and literally turned things upside down. Turned them upside down for those who were trying to financially benefit from the selling of the sacrificial doves. You, you're supposed to take a sacrifice into the temple. Nothing wrong with that, but they were trying to to uh, make a profit. They were trying to gouge the people and and those who were money changers because there were a lot of out of towners because of the Passover festival, and they were. They were trying to turn a large profit as well. You know, Jesus doesn't like it when we turn the house of the Lord into a place for personal gain. Can you blame him? No.
1: Isn't it amazing, though, how quickly things can change? You know, one's position or circumstance can go from being the center of attention, like in a victory parade, to being made the center of attention in a plot to be killed. It's funny how quickly things can change.
0: Hmm. Not the first time that happened to Jesus. Three years before when he started his ministry, he went down to the river and he was baptized by his cousin John. What a day. As he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended, Scripture tells us, like a dove. and the voice of God, the Father claimed Jesus as his son from the heavens and said how pleased he was with him. Wow. What a spirit-filled moment. What an incredible point in time. But no sooner had Jesus come up out of the baptismal water of the river than the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting to be tempted by Satan. Wow. Can you imagine how quickly things change?
1: Wow. Well, maybe you can. Maybe you've been there before. Everything going really well things just kind of cooking life is easy life is good and then something happens perhaps something unexpected something out of left field it could be a phone call it could be a visit to a doctor it could be some event something challenging something painful maybe some physical pain emotional pain spiritual pain relational pain It could be something that's tragic. Whatever it is, sometimes those kinds of things come very quickly. And oftentimes, they come on the heels of these good times. And then you begin to wonder, like, what just happened? What's going on? How did we get from there to here? How could this have happened so quickly?
0: We get it. Back in 1988, we lived in Seaford, Delaware. Before we went into ministry, Carrie was a nurse. I was in the insurance business. And we were in the process of building our our dream house. Wow. We contracted a guy. Actually, he lived right next door to this um, piece of land that we had bought. And we were working with him, getting the specs together for a a, a gorgeous custom-built house, designed perfectly for uh, the two of us, our three kids, and the one that we come in a few years later. <laughs> yeah, what a place! What a nice house! So we're like here, but on the in the meantime, up here in Newark, my mother had some serious strokes to the point where we wondered if she would even survive. And my father wondered the same thing and he was kind of beside himself because they'd been married for quite a few years. And he was in a house, four bedroom house up here in Newark that we'd grown up in, that was just the two of them. And and he wondered what was going to happen, one, if she didn't survive and he's kind of rattling around that house by himself or if she did, how he was going to manage to take care of her, because she was going to need a lot of care. So we said, Dad, why don't put a wing on this house we're building, an in-law wing? Well, we, we meant that with our full hearts, but we were surprised a little bit when he said yes, because my father, from the age of 16, had been very independent, <laughs> very self-sufficient. And it was kind of surprising when he said, yeah, I'd like to do that, but he did, and so he sold their house in Newark, and, um, and, and the wing was put on the house, and the plans were on July 1, 1988. They'd move from Newark to Seaford, and we would move from one side of town to the other. Great plan. You know, it was kind of tough with Mom and the strokes and all, but we'd be together, and we'd help Dad take care of her. June one, one month to the day. Before move-in day, wasn't even before. It wasn't even lunchtime yet. My father coming down the steps, and before he got to the bottom, had a heart attack, and that was the end of his life. I often think. I doubt Dad woke up that morning thinking, "Well, this is it. It's the last day I've got." But it was. Wow, and how things change quickly. We thank the Lord that things were already in place for my mother because she was definitely going to need help then without Dad. So the Lord had seen ahead and had everything worked out. But our plan was a little different than we thought it was going to be because Dad was going to be primary caregiver and we were not going to be support staff. (laughs) And in an instant, that shifted to Alan and Carrie along with two full-time jobs and three full-time kids becoming primary care for Ruth Jones and that's okay that's not a problem but it certainly changed what we thought the way we thought things were gonna be things change quickly don't they and they can change from Just flying here to, wow, turning things upside down. We know that for sure. Many of you probably know that as well. And, you know, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he knew that. And that's why, you know, he understands us because he's been there. He gets it.
1: One difference (laughs) from our experience with with Alan's dad passing suddenly and unexpectedly and Alan's mom coming and said, we didn't know. We we didn't know what was ahead. Here's how it's different with Jesus. He knew what was ahead. He knew that when he was making this triumphal entry coming in on this grand parade and everybody's saying, Yay, Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. He knew that he would end up that week being arrested, betrayed, mocked, spit on, flogged, and killed. He also knew that he would rise three days later. He, he told his disciples that, and it's all, through, it's all through the Bible. He knew that the parade would be short-lived. And that the parade would be the beginning of the end. He knew that entering Jerusalem meant that he was completing his mission. Jesus was on a mission, and he came to exchange his life for ours. That was his mission exchanging his life for your life and for my life. And here's the thing, he gave it willingly. He did it willingly. He was not forced, he was not coerced. He did it by choice. He chose to allow himself to be crucified for all of us. He chose to enter into Jerusalem knowing what was coming. It was his choice to be a savior on a mission.
0: Every day he was teaching in the temple, and at night he would go out and spend the night on the Mount of Olives, as it was called, and all the people would get up early in the morning to listen to him in the temple.
1: So Jesus was a teacher, and he spent time daily, as Scripture said, teaching in the temple. He also spent time preparing his disciples, or attempting to prepare them for what was to come. He told them what was coming, but either they didn't want to hear it or they just couldn't comprehend it. It was just too much. I mean, I could hear, if I were the disciples in that room, I'd probably go, la, 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 la don't say that. Or, what? I don't even know what you're saying. I mean, you can't really blame the disciples. They were just regular people like you and like me. And so here Jesus is having these conversations with his disciples, preparing them. And over here, there's another chit-chat, a lot of chatter going on, among the religious leaders trying to figure out how to silence this man who was turning everything absolutely upside down. They were looking for the opportunity, an opportunity. To take Jesus's life. Hmm.
0: Now Jerusalem was overrun at that time with people because it was the annual festival of unleavened bread also known as the Passover. It was the annual Jewish celebration where they remembered the night where their ancestors had left Egypt and left slavery. Passover was one of the most important yearly celebrations for the Hebrews.
1: And so Jesus and his disciples We're celebrating the Passover. They had a a borrowed room. And Jesus used the elements of the meal to try to prepare his disciples, his followers, for what was to come. And so he held bread and he said, this is my body. And then he took the wine and he said, this is my blood. And in the future, when you do this, remember me. Remember me me he knew that his earthly mission would soon end on the cross and he was trying to prepare them for that give them something tangible since he couldn't be there in the future something tangible where they could remember for life beyond
0: during this meal that jesus identified judas iscariot as the one who would betray him. Can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes? Here's a guy you've been doing life with for three years, ministry. Of course, he didn't find out at that moment. He knew long before then that Judas would betray him. He also shared that the rest of the disciples would desert him. Can you imagine that? All these guys that was your core team, they're going to leave you at your, at your, your most challenging hour. Of course, Peter, bull in a china shop Peter, assured them he wouldn't. Jesus shared with Peter that he, Peter, would in fact deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed that next morning. (laughs) Peter claimed that even if he had to die, he would never disown Jesus. And all the other disciples agreed with that. You know what, it's easy to be bold when you aren't threatened, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Since Ash Wednesday back in February, our, our preaching series has been Battle Plan for Prayer. And week in and week out, we d- talked about how Jesus prayed often. And we should too. And we talked about different tools and all about prayer. Here's a case at the end of Jesus' life where, once again, he prayed. He went to the Mount of Olives, and while he was there praying, that's when Judas brought the crowd carrying swords and clubs, and they were sent by the religious leaders, and Jesus was arrested and brought to the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish, like, Supreme Court. And they charged Jesus with blasphemy. Blasphemy, that's showing contempt or irreverence to God. See, Jesus claimed to be the son of God, and that was like, no way. And that wasn't good for, for Jesus, although he came to fulfill that mission. He was the son of God. If You saw him, you saw his father. So this is all going on here, and then we've got this, this thing going on over here in the courtyard where people are milling around, and they see Peter, and they say, Hey, aren't you, um, aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? And it, Peter's like, No, not me. And somebody else, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? No, you got the wrong guy. Hey, you! I've seen you with Jesus. No, I don't even know him. And then the cock crowed and he remembered that Christ told him that he would deny him three times. And scripture says Peter cried. Well, wouldn't you? I'd be crying my eyes out at this point, knowing what I had done. And Here's the thing about Peter. I'm not sure we're that different. How often do we deny Jesus? Maybe not by saying, oh, no, I don't even know him if we're in a setting because it's maybe not as uh, dangerous as it was for Peter. But there are times that we do deny Christ, either through our thoughts, our actions, our words, things we do, things we don't do, knowingly, unknowingly. I deny Christ every day in some way. So how are you like Peter? When do you deny Christ?
0: Jesus was then brought before Pilate, the Roman governor of the area. And Pilate couldn't find fault with Jesus, but the crowd was overwhelming. and Pilate's wife had dreamed that they should have nothing to do with this innocent man, but the chief priests and the elders kept pushing and pushing and pushing and There was a custom at the Passover feast at that time of year that that one prisoner would be set free. And so Pilate gave the people their choice of Jesus or a guy named Barabbas who was was in prison for murder, for taking someone's life during a, a rebellious uprising. And the people chose Barabbas. To be pardoned. And when Pilate asked what what he should do with Jesus, they shouted, Crucify Him! Wow. When Pilate asked what crime he had committed, they again shouted, Crucify Him. And so Pilate symbolically washed his hands, saying he was innocent of this man's blood. And the people said, Let his blood be on us and on our children." Can you imagine that? Let his blood be on us and on our children. And so Pilate released Barabbas, had Jesus flogged, and handed him over to be crucified.
1: And he was publicly humiliated by the governor's soldiers, and they spit on him, and they mocked him. and by mocking him. Remember, you know, you're king. And so they put a scarlet robe on him to humiliate him and the crown, but it was a crown of thorns, not some nice shiny thing. And he was led to his final execution earlier that week, hailed as a hero and now a common criminal. Actually, it seemed like it was worse. And the religious leaders The religious leaders, they mocked him, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Can you just hear that? He saved others, but he can't save himself.
0: The Romans, well, they did a lot of things very well, but one of the things they did very well was create one of the cruelest and most excruciating means of execution ever known to humankind. Crucifixion was where you were nailed to a cross, but it wasn't the loss of blood that took your life. It was the eventual suffocation that occurred when after hours and hours and hours of straining to hold oneself up, you could not do that any longer, and eventually you're kind of doubled over on yourself, and your lungs collapsed in, and you could no longer breathe. And so Jesus willingly gave up his spirit and died on a cross that day. We, we call that day Good Friday. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Good Friday. Willingly he did that. Willingly. They didn't take his life. He gave his life willingly so that you and I could keep ours so that we might be saved, so that we might live, so that we might be able to travel through eternity in relationship with the one who died there on the cross.
1: There was a rich man, his name was Joseph of Arimathea, and he had become a disciple of Jesus, and he went and took the body from the cross and wrapped it in clean linen, and placed Jesus' body in a new tomb, a new tomb that had been cut in a rock. And there was a large stone that was placed over the entrance, and it was sealed.
0: This is a heck of a week, isn't it? Heck of a week, starting with a parade and ending with an execution was all part of the plan, all part of his mission, Jesus' mission, his mission to sacrifice himself for you and for me, his mission to give his sinless life to pay the price for our sin-filled lives, his mission to be the once and for all blood sacrifice. You know, they used to uh, offer sacrifice all the time in the temple, that's what the uh, sacrificial doves they were selling was so the people would have a sacrifice to take in. It was like a bloodbath on Sacrifice Day. But this is the once and for all. No longer did sacrifice need to be made because Jesus was the ultimate blood sacrifice that paid the price that we can't pay for our sin pay the price so that we might enjoy eternity with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the parade came to town on Palm Sunday, Jesus already knew what the week would bring. He was on a mission as he entered town that day, and he fulfilled his mission when he died on that cross. Savior on a mission for you and for me. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life He offers.